If you'd like to spend some time with real people with a real heart for God, we welcome you to visit us at Harvest Church in Alexandria, Virginia. Our Sunday morning services are held at 1030, and our Family Night Fellowship takes place on Wednesday at 7 p.m. Come experience God's awesome, life-changing power as we worship in His presence, fellowship with one another, commit to discipleship, and share God's love through evangelism. For more information or directions, visit HarvestNova.com. That's HarvestNova.com. Today, I'm going to resume the series, The Kingdom, we've been doing for, I I was looking back, I can't believe it, this is our eighth message, and uh, you know, sometimes the Lord drops a seed in my heart. And, uh, uh, you know, sometimes he gives me the plan. Uh, I, don't, I don't know if it's been like this for you, Brother Warren, but sometimes I have the plan, and sometimes I just have to trust God as it unfolds, you know? This is one of those latter times. But God has been faithful, and uh, I trust these messages have been ministering to you, the series on the kingdom. As I've been doing, I want to review the previous message, the one we did a couple weeks ago. Uh, The the message we did, uh, the last message was entitled Kingdom Righteousness, Part 1, True Righteousness. And we asked uh, and answered the question, what is the essence of true kingdom righteousness and what does it uh, demand of kingdom citizens? And uh, the the two answers, this was the entire outline from last week's message, Uh, the essence of true kingdom righteousness we said, is not only keeping the letter of God's law, but also living in harmony with the spirit of God's law. Uh, That's that's the first thing we we emphasized last week. Uh, Not only keeping the letter of God's law, but living in harmony with the spirit of God's law. The second uh, point that we made was that the demand of true kingdom righteousness is is to live according to a higher standard than external conformity to a code of behavior. Jesus said uh, it's not enough just to keep, a, keep the law, uh, uh, adhere to the letter of the law, and just to keep a code, uh, but actually the kingdom standard, uh, serving God because of what he's done in our hearts and because we have a love relationship with him, that holds us to a higher standard than just keeping a letter of the law. And we're going to see that uh, expounded on in today's uh, message. The title of my sermon uh, today is Kingdom Righteousness, Part 2, Core Issues. Kingdom Righteousness, Part 2, Core Issues. Last, uh, last message was uh, kind of an overview of what true righteousness is. As Jesus revealed it to us today, uh, we're looking at some core issues. Uh, the principles of kingdom righteousness that I just reviewed for you that we went over last week, they apply to every area of our lives, okay? They apply to every area of our lives, but there are some core issues in our lives that are so significant, that are so important, that Jesus made specific application of kingdom righteousness to those issues, And that's what he did here in Matthew chapter 5. That's where we're sharing from today, verses 21 through 48. Uh, So uh, this morning I want to answer the question, how does the kingdom standard of righteousness apply to the core issues of life? How does it apply to the core issues of life? Again, kingdom righteousness applies to every area of life. Uh, But Jesus 
specified certain core issues. So how does, the, how does this kingdom standard of righteousness apply to the core issues of life? The, the, the first principle here we need to see is that kingdom righteousness requires controlling one's anger. I would say that's a core issue. We live in an angry world, don't we? <laughs> and uh, we're, as Christians, we're not immune from anger. Kingdom righteousness requires controlling one's anger. In verses 21 through 26, uh, Jesus said, uh, You have heard that it was said to the people long ago. I believe we have that on the screen for you. You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, Do not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to his brother, Raka, is answerable to the Sanhedrin. But anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you are still with him on the way, or he may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. I tell you the truth, you will not get out until you have paid the last, uh, the last penny. Kingdom righteousness requires controlling one's anger. And throughout this uh, passage, throughout this message today, we're going to see a familiar pattern in what Jesus shares. He says repeatedly in these verses, you have heard it said, etc., but I say to you. Okay? Now keep in mind what we said, the second point from last week, or from last message, that the kingdom standard of righteousness uh, holds us to a higher standard than the mere letter of the law. So when Jesus says, you have heard it said, he's referring to uh, statements based on the letter of the law. But then he says, but I say to you, and that's what he says here. You have heard it said, do not commit murder. Well, that's a, a good rule to abide by, isn't it? Do not commit murder. Uh, but he says, but I say to you, if uh, you are angry with your brother, you will be subject to judgment. Now, the King James Version says angry without a cause, but that's not in the original. Uh, what is he talking about? He's saying, literally, whoever is angry is in danger of judgment. Now, keep in mind, we said at the beginning, the kingdom standard of righteousness is not something we can achieve on our own. Can we agree on that? We need God's help uh, to... Uh, 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 be, uh, to live according to the kingdom standard. Whoever is angry is in danger of judgment. Then he says, whoever uses the word raka. Now, uh, there's uh, not 100% agreement on what that word meant, but uh, most scholars feel raka is an Aramaic word, which is Aramaic is what they actually spoke in New Testament times, even though the New Testament is written primarily in Greek. And Aramaic word may be a word that means empty head. <laughs> okay, so it's calling someone empty-headed, basically. And, and what is Jesus saying here? Well, he's saying that murder, of course, is sin. I think we would all agree on that, although in this world, who knows, right? Uh, when it comes to unborn babies, not everybody agrees on that, but that's a whole other topic. Murder is sin, 
but anger, uh, but murder is anger full grown. Uh, what is he saying? He's saying uncontrolled anger is on a scale or a continuum with murder. Sure, murder is, murder is the, the, the logical, the, 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 the terrible end result of that. But Jesus is talking here about maintaining a state of anger. Now, we know that uh, Jesus had a righteous anger, righteous indignation. Remember when he threw the money changers out of the temple? Of course we do. But what, what is Jesus talking about here? He's saying, uh, he's saying that to maintain a, a, a inner rage, an inner anger is sinful. It's not enough. The scribal teaching, remember he said in verse 20, your, your, your righteousness needs to, uh, to uh, exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees. The scribal teaching was, okay, if you don't commit murder, uh, you're okay. But you can have that rage boiling up uh, inside of you. Have you ever said to somebody, I'm so angry I could kill you? You don't have to answer that. Probably a, a, a lot of us have said something like that. And, and why do we say that? Because inside we know that uh, uncontrolled anger is on a scale that actually uh, is, uh, leads to the end to, to murder. Now I'm not saying every time we get angry we end up murdering somebody, God forbid. But what's, what's the point? The point is this. If, if, if we allow anger to boil and to fester within us, sometimes we pat ourselves on the back. Hey, I didn't kill somebody, you know, or I didn't do something awful to someone, but boy, I could. I'm so angry inside. And what do we do? We maintain that rage. That's why Jesus said, uh, you know, if you're, if you're offering your gift at the altar, if you're coming, you're worshiping at the altar, and you remember something uh, between you and a Christian brother, and, and you, have, you have a conflict between you, he said, leave your gift at the altar, leave your time of worship, and go and make things right. In other words, that's how seriously uh, God takes uncontrolled anger, unresolved conflict. I was preaching a message, planning to preach a message similar to this one time. It was Sunday morning, and I, I had, of course, had my message all planned. And God spoke to me early on a Sunday morning, said, you can't preach that today. I said, God, uh, I, I thought you gave me this message. I thought you wanted me to preach this. He said, I did, but you can't preach that today. I said, God, why not? He said, because you have unresolved conflict with people. You need to make it right. Early Sunday, that Sunday morning, I had to make a couple phone calls to make things right between myself and other people so I could stand in the pulpit and preach the message God gave me because I was convicted. And listen, I understand. There, there, there's a lot in this world that makes us angry. There's a lot of injustice there, and, and, and there's a place for righteous indignation. But God takes seriously uncontrolled anger. And, you know, it's, it's, it's not okay uh, just to uh, dismiss it and say, okay, you know, that's my, that's my hot temper. That's my hot, you know, Irish temper or Latin background or, you know, I'll say Italian because I'm Italian, you know. That's my passion. You know, how we, you know how we rationalize, we excuse things? You know, God help us. And, and, and so the kingdom standard of righteousness uh, says that we need to control our anger. Uh, 
Some companies have created anger rooms where employees can de-stress by attacking computers. And from that idea, I know sometimes you want to attack your computer, right? Uh, a woman named Barbara Lice, uh, a Maryland elementary school principal, created a smash place, quote unquote, where teachers could relieve tension by destroying old pieces of furniture uh, with baseball bats. I know what some of you are saying, where is that place? But a number of parents didn't think that was such a good idea and complained that the destruction of the furniture was sending a troubling message to children. And the, uh, the, the, the lady, Barbara, was actually forced to resign. You see, it says in Proverbs 29, 11, listen to this. A fool gives vent to his anger, but a wise person holds it in check. A fool gives vent to his anger, but a wise person holds it in check. God is not, complete, is not pleased with uncontrolled anger, uncontrolled rage. You say, Pastor Tim, but you don't understand this person, this, this, this situation. It makes me so boiling angry inside. Oh, con uh, on the contrary, I do quite understand. I've, I've, I've been known to get angry myself a time or two. And we all have those hot buttons, don't we? Certain things that just push our button and we get angry. So, Pastor Tim, I don't know what to do. I don't know where to go. I don't know what to do with the rage. We need to go to God. Say, Lord, Lord, I'm, I'm enraged by this. And, and, and uh, Lord, to an extent, maybe it's, it's justified in, 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 to, to some extent. But, Lord, I can't carry around this rage. You know, if you're angry about an injustice, then let God use that to cause you to, to make a difference, to do something about it. That's totally appropriate. But, but, but we can't go around carrying a rage and an anger. That's why Jesus said, if you have something between yourself and a brother, go make it right. Yeah, but, but the ball's in their court. Doesn't matter. If you're going around with bitterness and boiling rage inside, it's not hurting them, it's hurting you. You know what I'm talking about? I think we do. And so, so we, we need to, the kingdom standard of righteousness says, I can't live my life with uncontrolled anger. I can't live my life uh, boiling over on the inside and pat myself on the back because I didn't murder somebody or I didn't you know, lay them out verbally or I didn't do something to them. I, uh, boy, I held it in check, but are, are we really holding it in check? It, it, we need to turn it over to God. And let me tell you, when, when you're in a state like that and you turn it over to God and you say, God, what you're doing, we say I give myself away, what you're doing is you're giving up the right to be offended. You're giving up the right to be, yeah, but you don't know what they did. I have a right to be angry. I give it up. I let it go. What if they don't change? That's between them and God. I give it up. I let it go. Pastor Tim, that's not natural. No, it's not. It's the way of the kingdom. We're kingdom citizens today, man. That's the righteousness of the kingdom. So righteousness of the kingdom, kingdom righteousness requires controlling one's anger. How about you today? If you're here today, if you're watching online, do you, do, do you have an anger or rage boiling up with, inside you? As a citizen of God's kingdom, I urge you, Give it up. Let it go. 
Say, I don't know how. Ask God. God will help you. Say, Lord, I, I pray this prayer. Lord, I give up the right to be offended. I give up the right to be angry. And boy, that rage dissipates. And, and it's amazing how free you feel. Some of you know what I'm talking about. You've experienced that. Secondly, this morning, kingdom righteousness requires maintaining personal purity. Requires maintaining personal purity. In verse 27, Jesus says, You have heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you, you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. It, it has been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for marital unfaithfulness causes her to become an adulteress. And anyone who marries the divorced woman commits adultery. Kingdom righteousness requires maintaining personal Purity. Uh, Jesus talked about two aspects here. And I, I made brief reference to this a couple weeks ago. The scribal law said do not commit adultery. We know that was part of the Old Testament law. Jesus said, you've heard it said, do not commit adultery. But I say to you, if a man looks on a woman with lust, he has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Wow, we don't like to think about that, do we? Because, oh boy, if that's the standard, and we're not asking for any confessions here this morning, okay, men? And, and by the way, it's not only men, it applies to women as well, but uh, we're not asking for any confessions here because, uh, boy, that's a high standard. Again, kingdom righteousness is a higher standard than the letter of the law. And Jesus said to look with lust on a woman is the same as committing adultery. So Jesus said, what's the answer? He says, if your eye offends you, pluck it out. If your hand offends you, cut it off. Now he uh, wasn't speaking literally, okay? And think about it, because a blind man can still lust. <laughs> so he's not, uh, he's not advocating literally self-mutilation. Jesus, as we've seen, makes radical statements to drive a point home. And what he's saying is, uh, this is so significant, this is so important that if you have a problem with lust, you need to do anything you can to deal with it, to eradicate it from your life. We live, you, you don't need me to tell you this, we live in a sex-crazed culture. Everything goes. And, and, and uh, there, there's, a, there's a perverted idea that it's okay uh, to teach perversion to young children. And I, I don't need to go into specifics. You know what, what, what kind of a world we live in. Things that seemed unimaginable 20 years ago. And, and our society is reaping the results. Jesus said uh, we need to be pure in our minds. Philippians 4, uh, 8 says, whatever is pure and lovely and wholesome, think on these things. And I encourage you, especially men who are here today or listening to this message, if you have a problem with whether it's pornography or a thought life, find a trusted counselor, find someone you can unburden your heart to and have them pray with you and hold you accountable uh, to, to, to deal with this issue.
because it doesn't go away if you don't deal with it. Jesus said moral purity is, you see, human nature, our, 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 our technology may have changed things and, 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 and a lot of things may have changed, but human nature hasn't changed in 2,000 years. And what Jesus referred to 2,000 years ago is, you know, human nature is the same today. Amen? And it's something we need to deal with. And we don't talk about it a lot, but it's a pervasive problem in our culture and yes even in the church righteousness goes further than the righteousness of the law and then Jesus talks about divorce and remarriage our society has very uh, has very little regard for the sanctity of marriage and Jesus there, there, there were two schools of thought about uh, the, the, uh, what was permissible in terms of divorce and remarriage. And, and, and let me say this, uh, some scholars have disagreed, but I believe the Bible teaches when, when d divorce uh, presupposes a remarriage. And so there are biblical uh, permissible uh, reasons for divorce, but there were two schools of thought. <coughs> excuse me, uh, regarding divorce and, and remarriage. Uh, one uh, was known as the liberal school of thought. It was uh, the Hillel uh, school of thought by the teacher Hillel, and the Pharisees followed the liberal school of thought that, that a, 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 a person could divorce, a man could divorce his wife for any and, and all reasons. And then there was the conservative school of, th of thought, the Shammai school of thought, uh, with regard to divorce and remarriage, it said it was only permissible uh, on the occasion of marital unfaithfulness on the other partner. And here Jesus uh, espouses the conservative school of thought. That, that uh, divorce, uh, which presupposes remarriage, is, is biblically permissible when the spouse has been unfaithful. Okay? Not for burning dinner. Or not for, you know, spending a little too much money here and there. Or for other uh, trivial matters. Now, the Apostle Paul uh, set forth another ex uh, biblical reason for uh, divorce and remarriage. He said, if, if, the, if the spouse leaves you or deserts you, but he set forth another condition. Why, why is this in the section on purity? Because it, it, it all relates. Uh, light regard for, for uh, moral purity and, and, and little regard for the sanctity of marriage uh, is, is, has uh, just damaged our culture and our world and our society beyond measure. You know, if, if we follow the biblical precepts, we would avoid as a culture a lot of the problems our society faces nowadays amen we just follow the word of God the designer now I, I, I want to say this if you're here today if you're watching online and and uh, you know and uh, you've experienced divorce and 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 maybe it wasn't for one of the biblical reasons uh, the, 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 there's there's uh, no warrant in the Bible for okay I, I made a mistake so let me break up this subsequent marriage and, and try and go back to the other one you don't you don't try and do that if, if you made a mistake, you ask for forgiveness and you move on and you follow Christ the best way you know. Do we understand that? So you don't break up one marriage to restore another one. But moving forward, we need to understand. So, so kingdom righteousness requires maintaining personal purity. And we can't do it without God's help. 
We, you know, the, the psalmist prayed, Lord, let the, let the meditation of my heart, let the words of my lips be acceptable unto you, O God. And this is why it's so important, church. You see, we talk about the basics. It's so important to talk to God every day. So important to read the word of God. It's so important to spend time in prayer and, and, and to not just talk to God, although that's part of it, but just to, just to listen a little bit. Say, God, is there something you want to say in my, uh, to me? Is there something in my life that's not pleasing to you? And just open up ourselves before God because our lives are an open book before him, amen? You see, getting back to the thought life, we, 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 we think that our thought life is our own private domain, and nobody, nobody can know what our thoughts are, but God always knows. We're an open book to him. So, so church, this, this is why the basics are so important. Spend time in prayer. Spend time reading God's word and, and, and be an open book before him and say, Lord, deal with my heart. See if there be, uh, the psalmist said, anything unclean in my life. And Lord, I turn it over to you. Kingdom righteousness requires maintaining personal purity. Oh, it's not about being perfect. We're, we're not perfect, but it's about uh, being an open book before God and saying, God, I want to live a life that's pleasing to you in everything I do, everything I say, everything I think in all of my life. Kingdom righteousness requires maintaining personal purity. Thirdly, this morning, kingdom righteousness requires speaking with honesty. Speaking with honesty. In verse number 33, Jesus said, Again, you have heard it said to the people long ago, Do not break your oath, but keep the oaths you have made to the Lord. But I tell you, do not swear at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. Simply let your yes be yes, your no, no, and anything beyond this comes from the evil one. Now, what Jesus was saying here had, has really nothing to do with an oath in a court of law. You know, do you swear or affirm to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the whole truth, so help you God, okay? That's uh, 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 an oath taken for a witness in court to tell the truth. D Jesus did not have that in mind here. But what was he talking about? Well, it was a practice in Jesus' day for uh, people to make oaths, and they would make an oath based on a, on a certain object. And certain objects were considered to have varying degrees of holiness. So one's oath was only as trustworthy uh, to the level that the object on which the oath was made was considered holy. Okay? Do you get that? So, so they, they, would, they would swear according to certain things. And, and, and it, it made a, a sham of honesty. You know, if you'd swear by something that wasn't considered too holy, uh, then your oath was only taken so far. I know it sounds convoluted, but, but that, that was the mindset. And Jesus cut through all that. Remember, kingdom righteousness holds us to a higher standard. Jesus said, uh, basically, if you have to swear by something, if you have to make an oath on something, uh, based on something, then your word uh, is not very uh, reliable to begin with. Jesus said this, and this is... This is so radical, 
It's so profound in its simplicity. He said, what's the, what's, what's the solution to this? He said, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Well, it's got to be more complicated than that. No, not really. <laughs> when you say yes, let it be yes. When you say no, let it be no. And, and church, listen, uh, you know, sin is sin and, 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 and anything we do that displeases God is, is something to be shunned and something to be avoided. But I just can't help but think that the Holy Spirit is grieved uh, when born-again Christians who claim the name of Jesus make a habit of shading the truth or telling outright falsehoods to get out of a tight spot. And you know what happens? Once we shade the truth a little bit, and once we stretch the truth, if that's even a thing, a little bit, and once we tell a falsehood here, guess what? You know what I'm going to say, don't you? It becomes easier. Our conscience doesn't prick us as much, and it becomes easier, and what happens? It becomes a way of life. Church, that's not kingdom life. That's not kingdom righteousness. That is the standard of the world. How can, I, how, can I, how can I get around the truth? How can I get out of a tight spot? Jesus said, on the contrary, let your yes be yes, let your no be no. And, and you and I know, we know people, uh, you know people who have shaded the truth or you found out to be uh, untruthful with you, and when they tell you something, they affirm something to you, how do you regard that? With a, with a healthy dose of suspicion, don't you? Well, they said they gave me their word, but I remember, right, back when? Well, that's terrible. But on the contrary, do you know people who, uh, who have been so trustworthy and so truthful that anything they say, you could take it to the bank? You, you know that their integrity and their lifestyle and their yes means yes and their no means no. Do you know people like that? I know there are fewer and fewer of, of those kind of people in the world, but when you know somebody like that, man, they tell you something, what do you do? So-and-so said yes, or they said this was the case. Settles it for me. Shouldn't followers of Jesus Christ, shouldn't all of us be regarded that way? Shouldn't someone be able to say, that person is a born-again Christian. They claim to follow Jesus Christ. And if they said such and such, I believe it because they're a follower of Jesus Christ. And, and to, to show what a sad state of affairs uh, the, the world is in, that sounds radical. It, it shouldn't be radical at all. It should be standard business. It should be standard operating procedure. You're a born-again Christian. You're a follower of Jesus Christ. Every word out of your mouth should be 100% true. That's the kingdom standard. That's the kingdom standard. In their book, The Day America Told the Truth, authors Patterson and Kim painted a startling picture. This is what they said. 91% of us lie regularly. When we tell the truth, it isn't because lying is wrong, it's because we're afraid of being caught. Two out of three Americans believe that there is nothing wrong with lying. Only 31% of Americans believe that honesty is the best policy. God help us. I don't know how many of, 
uh, of those percentages claim to be born-again Christians. But the ones that do, shame on them and shame on us if our word is not our bond. Kingdom righteousness uh, requires speaking with honesty. What's the fourth principle today? We want to look at kingdom righteousness requires loving one's enemies. Verse 38, you have heard that it was said eye for eye and tooth for tooth, but I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. If someone wants to sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. If someone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. He causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your brothers, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be there perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now, Jesus said, again, you have heard it said, eye for an eye and tooth for tooth, but I tell you, do not resist an evil person. Now, he went on to say some things. If someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. If someone wants to take your, your cloak, let him have that as well. And if someone forces you to go one mile, go two. What was he talking about? Well, there was a law in the Roman Empire that uh, a Roman soldier could compel a citizen to carry their gear for one, one mile. Jesus said they compel you to go one, go two. And... and, and we need to understand, again, Jesus is making radical statements. Now, if everything he said here was taken literally, there would, there would literally be no commerce, especially Christian businesses. If every Christian businessman or woman took this literally, they wouldn't, they wouldn't, they wouldn't be in business for long. <laughs> right? Brother Dave, you just said, you know, people don't want to pay. That's okay. Right? Your business would come to a sudden end. It's not okay. <laughs> but what is the point here? The point is this. Jesus is speaking against the spirit of revenge. You see, and, 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 and that's the point. And he said, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Jesus is speaking against the spirit of revenge. He's saying, uh, it's not your place to exact a penalty from someone who does you wrong. Uh, and and uh, when, when a person feels attacked, mistreated, or socially rejected, they often think that harming someone who harmed them will bring a sense of you know, catharsis or closure. David Chester, a uh, Virginia Commonwealth University assistant professor uh, who studies the psychological and biological processes involved in human aggression, has found that while revenge may provide a lift, the positive effects don't last very long. He said this, Revenge can feel really good in the moment, but when we follow up with people five minutes, ten minutes, and forty-five minutes later, they actually report feeling worse than they did before they sought revenge. I want you to catch that. Studies have shown revenge feels good in the moment. 
but a short time later, they actually feel worse than before they took revenge. You see, the law said eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. The kingdom standard of righteousness is, says uh, revenge isn't mine. Matter of fact, in Romans 12, 19, it's, Paul said, friends, do not avenge yourself. Instead, leave room for God's wrath because it is written, vengeance belongs to me. I will repay, says the Lord. And do you know what I've found? Now, 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 there's a time to speak the truth and correct the record if someone says something inaccurate. There's a time to speak the truth. But you know what I've found? Most of the time, when I, and, and, and not only speaking of revenge, but if I just got to, you know, kind of verbally even get back at somebody, when I choose to really make a point of defending myself, I usually make a mess of it. You ever do that? Well, I'm going to set so-and-so straight. And how, how does that usually work out for us? Not well, does it? But, but you know what I've found? When I let God fight my battles, when I, let, when I let God, listen, I've pastored this church for 30 years. And like every other pastor, I'm not immune to having some very uncomplimentary things said about me. Which I know shocks all of you because I'm such a wonderful person. Not really. <laughs> but, you know, and all of us have. But, you know, I've had my share of uncomplimentary things said about me, and boy, you know, I want to correct the record. But I found out it works out so much better when I let God fight my battles. And I don't worry so much about what people think and how I have to set the record straight, and I just leave it to God. And, and, and you know what, I've, I've, had, I've had people, and, and this is years ago, nobody who's here now, but I've had, I've had people in the congregation that I know, word, word gets back. I've heard them criticize me, and I've heard them say things about me that weren't true or that uh, didn't have a shade of truth. And yeah, I'm human. I, I you know, didn't react well to that. And then, and then we'd have a service, and, and sure enough, that person would come to the altar in one prayer. So what am I to do? <laughs> you know? You know, take two prayers and call me in the morning, you know, give a kind of automatic response, or am I called to be the pastor and minister to them in love? Because that's what God's called me to do, and the Lord's helped me with that. You see, and that's, that's not just for pastors, not just for me, that's true for all of us. Let God fight your battles. Let God take care of those who mistreat you and harm you, because he's, he's much better at, at handling those types of things than we are. Don't you believe that? Amen. I believe it. Amen. I'll amen myself this morning. The Lord is calling here for a, a lack of selfishness and freedom from any spirit of personal revenge. As a matter of fact, he he's tell, tells us, us where to he, heap love on those people. And I've tried to do that, not always perfectly, but to love those who uh, do us wrong. And have, have you ever done this? Somebody's mistreated you or spoken ill of you or done something wrong to you, and instead of getting you know, revenge or getting even or straightening the record, you just do something. Maybe it wasn't easy, but you just do something loving for them. You reach out to them and you bless them. It blows their minds. Do, is there somebody right now that you, you have conflict and, and they've done you dirty? 
boy, you want to blow their minds, do something loving for them. Bless them. It'll, it'll, it'll do you a world of good, and it'll blow their minds in a good way. Amen. Kingdom righteousness requires loving one's enemies. In conclusion this morning, we said in the last message that the, the standard of kingdom righteousness is a higher standard than keeping a code or the letter of the law. And we asked this morning, how does, kingdom right, how does the kingdom standard of righteousness apply to the core issues of life? First of all, we said it requires controlling one's anger. Uncontrolled rage, boiling anger remaining inside of us is not... Uh, good for us, it's not good for anyone else, and it's certainly not pleasing to God. And if you're hearing this message today, and you have a boiling, uncontrolled anger within you, and you may pride yourself that you're keeping it just below the surface, but it's not doing you good, and it's not pleasing to God, and God wants you to d deal with that today. Kingdom standard of righteousness requires maintaining personal purity, not just in keeping the letter of the law and not committing adultery or the sin of fornication, but actually in having a pure thought life. And, and if that's an issue for you, you need to seek help and, uh, and allow God to heal you in that area and have a, 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 a pure life that's pleasing to Him. The kingdom standard of righteousness requires speaking with honesty. And as I said, if we begin to go down the path of shading the truth or not being honest in our dealings, it becomes easier and easier. And if that's the case in your life, I respectfully ask you to, to, to do something to halt that right now and to realize it for what it is and say, God, I want my yes to be yes. I want my no to be no and nothing in between. And the Lord will help you with that. I heard of one person who had, had, had gotten saved and they had a problem with honesty in their, uh, in their prior, uh, b before they were saved. And a a as a young Christian, uh, this woman would be talking to somebody and she said something that was untrue just because it was just natural to her. And the Lord convicted her on the spot and she said, and it was humbling, but she said, excuse me, I have to tell you what I just told you wasn't true. And the Lord has convicted me, and I apologize to you. I'm sorry for it. I want to speak the truth. Say, so Pastor Tim, that's humiliating. That's embarrassing. That's how you deal with the tendency uh, not to speak the truth in your life. Let your yes be yes, your no be, be no. Uh, kingdom righteousness requires speaking with honesty. And number four, the kingdom standard of righteousness requires loving one's enemies. Leave revenge to God. Uh, love those who do you wrong. Be completely free from the spirit of revenge and allow God to deal with your enemies. Amen. Say, Pastor Tim, boy, that's, that's heavy lifting. I, I, don't know if I, can, I don't know if I can do that. Well, let me, let me help you with that. I know that you can't, <laughs> just because I know I can't. But as we surrender to him, as we say, Holy Spirit, come, flood my life. Lord, you do the impossible in and through me. Lord, I, I'm not going to live by the letter of the law. I'm not going to keep a code. I'm going to allow your righteousness to flow through me.